All right, this is Dark News Radio, episode number 119. Very exciting episode for you today. I'm one of your hosts, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Uh, it's great. I just got back from a game, my second game ever of Warcry, and it was brutal. But we'll chat about that another time. Because uh, you, you're painting and putting stuff together as well, Mike, so I'm sure we're going to have an episode talking about that. So, yeah. Yeah, that's actually definitely a great idea for the future. Uh, joining us as well is Chig. How's it going, Chig? Pretty good, Mike. How's your Saturday going? Great. I woke up, uh, came back, flipped through uh, Chicago by night a little bit. Definitely something cool that we can talk about this episode with our special guest here, really uh, returning guest as well, uh, Crystal Mazer. How's it going, Crystal? It's going really well. Yeah, we're really excited to have you here on the show because uh, you know we had a nice, uh, cool interview at uh, uh, PAX Unplugged this past year. And uh, Chig also met up with you at uh, Gen Con. So it's really great to have you here to be back on the show and talk about more cool stuff. Yeah, thank you guys for inviting me back. I love talking with you guys. Well, we love having you. So yeah, it's good to get you on as often as possible because you work on more than just Vampire as well. So I think we'll be covering that later in the show. Yes. Yes. Cool. Uh, Right, Mike. Is it the new segment or gaming update first? Gaming update. Yeah, usually the game update. So I'll take it this time because uh, yeah. I've had a lot going on and uh, it'll be interesting to talk about. So last week I met up with Ian from Gehenna Gaming, which is actually a uh, kind of a regional Vampire the Masquerade, World of Darkness, like storytelling group, a collective, uh, which has a bunch of interlinked stories and settings uh, being run right now, mostly in Vampire the Masquerade 5th edition. There's a game that was up in Salem and might be moving to, to Worcester. There's a game that's set uh, down in Providence and um, one set up in Manchester, New Hampshire. And all the storytellers kind of share different ideas and uh, a lot of other great things. Uh, Gehenna Gaming is really cool. Uh, they have a lot of local support. They're looking to do a lot of demos, running their own events in the New England area and hopefully expanding out into the Midwest as well. And uh, just a lot of really cool stuff. We'll probably talk to them sometime in the future. But uh, for now, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, you can see if there's any like live games being run locally that you can hop on and join or if there's any online games that they're running or when their storytellers is running if you're looking for a group uh in that manner a lot of cool stuff um great people on their discord so all of the links will be in the show notes of course and then for my own personal gaming uh i haven't done any tabletop gaming actually i just found out yesterday that my DD fifth edition game was canceled like the campaign is done we had one session that was it Oh, no. uh, which is a wow that was fast uh well i mean we started the first session was what like three months ago and people have just been kind of kicking the can since may oh that sucks sorry yeah it's a it's a bummer but uh i will be running the aramain contract uh, kind of a play test locally uh this coming thursday so that should be nice so i'll do a little bit of gaming there but I actually did a larp which i think will be of special interest to uh world of darkness and dark days radio uh, like listeners, uh, it was called a single silver coin, which is a, a live action game where basically all of your characters wake up. Last your last memory is that you died, and now you're on a boat, a boat going through the sea of shadows on your way to a purported paradise. And the only thing you need to get into that paradise is one silver coin. You start with three, and you'll have to see what happens. Of course, all the characters uh, knew each other in some ways in life. And uh, have a lot of interlinked backstories and a lot of uh, a lot of conflict and anger issues to work out on that boat ride to paradise. So it's really interesting, very good experience, and uh, 
yeah, definitely something to check out uh, if you're into that kind of live action stuff. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And did it actually take place on a boat? Uh, no, it was uh, you know, uh, a bunch of chairs in a random room at MIT. <laughs> so ah, That's like a boat. I mean, if you squint from a distance. Yeah, 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 exactly. But no, it wasn't really about the uh, the fancy blockbuster LARP kind of support. It was just about like uh, you know an experience between a bunch of broken characters hmm. who are Good. dead. <laughs> yeah, very interesting. So that's that's enough for the gaming updates. Let's go on over to the news segments. Yeah, I think the uh, really big news is uh, that Chicago by Night is out for backers. It's a really awesome fourth book out for uh vampire the masquerade fifth edition and uh, i think in a lot of ways this is this is the first like really radically awesome book you know a lot of great ideas and anarchs and camarilla but you know a lot of a lot of controversies and you know just some like formatting and layout issues with the original core book that came out but chicago by night i don't have any complaints i i think it's Mm. it's a 10 out of 10 actually i'm really happy that i backed it on kickstarter yeah, absolutely. Best book so far in the game line. I like seeing more and more of these books with the general kind of design, graphic design element that V5 has as a standard because everything just feels, it just feels fresh <laughs> generally. Um, and also, there's, yeah, there's great content in there. Like all the, all the um, La Sombra content is excellent, even if you don't want to set your games in Chicago. So um, it's really good for that. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about that a bit more uh, because Crystal wrote on uh, Chicago by Night 5th edition and we can uh, discuss that kind of in the interview segment. Yeah. But uh, in other news, we also have, of course, Cults of the Blood Gods will be coming out uh, for a Kickstarter pretty soon. Uh, that's another exciting V5 book. And then, of course, The Fall of London is imminent. Mm-hmm. So... And who are those books by? Are those both by the same group? No. Cults of the Blood Gods is Onyx Path. Mm-hmm. And Fall of London is by Modiphius. Though, of course, the, there are writers shared by on over each of the books. So, obviously, Matthew Dawkins has worked on both. Uh, uh, Steffi Devan, I think, has done a lot of work on Cults of the Blood Gods, I believe. And Chicago by Night. Yeah. Um, Clara, I think, has worked on both. Um, yep. Yeah. There's there's just the list of people that have worked on both is is substantial. So... You know, just because it's from two different companies, it it still is cohesively. Um, it's a they're both cohesive in what they're presenting because they're coming from the same developers, essentially. So you know, I'm really looking forward to uh, that aspect of the experiment of having multiple uh, production companies that share writers and share a setting. The other I thing don't is, don't know that it's been done in in role playing games before, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. And also, like, Modiphius is based in London, so it, it feels quite natural for them to cover London and UK content because, obviously, they know and interact with a lot of writers locally, you know, because also they run Dragon Meat, so they can pull writers who are based in the UK to really get that UK feel. Absolutely, and, and anybody who listened to our uh, our recent <laughs> Demon Hunter X episode knows how I feel about getting local writers. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was gonna say that Modiphius and Onyx Path both recognize the value of having writers that understand um, the the setting and how to write in it too. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, Cults of Blood Gods is also important. Uh, we'll just say because when that comes out 
to kickstart the importance of this book is that it will have content for the uh, he uh the hecate or hecate no i want to say hecate which are the the clan of death so that essentially will cover everything to do with i believe giovanni and associated bloodlines and we get the other flavor of uh the oblivion discipline set because of course oblivion is not just now a discipline but it uh that covers uh the la sombra um uh optonibration uh but also covers uh clearly ritual ma uh, blood magic in the form of necromancy um and if you feel weird about that, you just have to go read my rant on Twitter about how discipline discipline classification is something we do as gamers that vampires don't ever talk about. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, that's a different aside. All right, cool. And uh, is there other news that anyone wants to bring up? Um, uh, we didn't really have anything else here, but... Can I toot a horn? <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, go, go for it. So this isn't White Wolf News, it's Cubicle 7 News. Um, they released the cover for uh, Wrath and Glory Revised. So if you didn't know, Wrath and Glory was by Ulysses Spill North America. Uh, the license now for Wrath and Glory is held by, uh, by Cubicle 7. So Wrath and Glory is the 40k uh, RPG. Uh, you may have heard us play a streamer game uh, set in Necromunda. Uh, and I'm tooting it because I write for it now. And the cover is awesome. I, I saw the cover like a month ago and I just couldn't say anything. And it was like, it's kick ass. Uh, so there's lots of cool stuff going on for that. Nice. All right, cool. So I think that wraps up the news. And uh, let's move on over to our interview with Crystal. All right, Crystal. So, um, We've been talking to you uh, quite a bit, and uh, it sounds like you've got a lot of really cool books coming up, releasing right now in August or in the very near future. Uh, so do you want to just kind of highlight some of the uh, great stuff coming out? Yes. Yeah, so one of the books that I worked on was Snowhaven by High Level Games, um, and there was a Kickstarter for it. You can actually get the jumpstart on their Kickstarter page, and everything will be released through drive-thru, but uh, Snowhaven is Snowpunk. The other one would be Never Going Home by Wet Ink Games. And it is World War One mixed with Cthulhu horror. Right? Okay. So. <laughs> the books previewed at Gen Con and they sold out. And they are now shipping all of their Kickstarter stuff. They're just finishing fulfilling all of the um, packaging and stuff like that. So those will be shipping to Kickstarter backers very shortly oh okay i picked up a copy of that at uh at gen con i didn't realize that you'd written on it i'm sorry <laughs> i would have told you great job in person my bad <laughs> <laughs> uh so i wrote um uh i wrote the very first scenario in the book and then in the four there's four books in the series the the fourth one wasn't at gen con because it hadn't finished printing but i'm also the last scenario in the whole series <laughs> Nice. Do you do you tie those two scenarios together? I mean, aside from the obvious, you know, it's the same game, or is there like a through line? I haven't actually had a chance to read through it. I'm really bad about that. Um, not really, because the two scenarios are actually super different. So the first scenario, um, in if you know anything about history, uh, with World War One, um, the occult gates that are open up in the, the world and let all of these creatures spill out into it happen at the Battle of Psalms. Mm -hmm. And the um, tanks actually previewed several months, like a month or two after that event happened. 
So my the first scenario is actually how tanks are being pre, uh, altered to kind of work with the occult and supernatural. <laughs> oh, right. Cool. Nice. That sounds really fun. Yeah. I got to read then, that. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a lot of fun to write. Um, and then the last scenario in the book is for Armistice Day. And it's actually a memoriam game. Um, so it's not intended to continue a story. It's intended to end the story. So, oh. yeah, the goal is to have everybody, every character but one die. Hmm. Harsh. And Whoa. yes, it is brutal. <laughs> um, I, I actually had, I wrote extra like trigger warnings and stuff in there that this scenario is meant to be brutal it's interesting um also because i mean because as you say it's it's cthulhu uh, uh, mythos within the context of world war one and that that's interesting because you often see and i think immediately off the top of my head is um Achtung cthulhu by um Modifius, which is world war two with cthulhu and world war two is always a Let's just say it's always the immediate obvious one that people inject occult horror into because of obviously the in, insane ideas of various Nazi regime <laughs> commanders at the time about the occult. So actually looking at World War One with these elements, I think is is really quite is actually quite is is a lot more novel and interesting because the reason for the the, the fighting on both sides is not about it's not really you know, driven by fascism. It's literally, you know, countries at the height of their empires and after Queen Victoria's, you know, pops her clogs and they're like, no, we can finally fight this war and to inject, you know, occultism and and horror into that, into what is a horrific, into the most horrific war with with battles like the Somme is really cool and really interesting way to look. Yeah, and not a lot of people actually realize just how dangerous world war one was for the soldiers because like wolves were actually a thing that soldiers had to be careful of like Mm. we don't really see soldiers out on the battlefield worrying about packs of wolves overrunning them and that was actually a thing that they had to battle while trying to you know defeat the enemy And so much technology is new at the time. So, you know, trying to, you know, with, as you say, with tanks or with it, if it's, um, you know, machine guns and uh, things like mustard gas and so forth. So, uh, and even aircraft. So, again, those things are actually quite, in their own scientific context, quite marvels of wonder. So having, you know, in the same way that Cthulhu tech, you know, takes technology and 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 the occult and weaves it together, doing that through the context of new technologies during World War One, uh, I guess heightens the horror, it even enhances the horror that's that's inherently there because these weapons are are you know the mass destruction weapons have first kind of you know made themselves onto the battlefield. Yeah, and it gives it really a new like context for people who may not have had direct contact with anybody from world war one or were in world war one it still gives them context of the amount of horror because we feel that amount of horror and it was basically the same level for those people that were Mm. in those battles or that had loved ones that were in there i'll definitely have to get hold of a pdf at least to look at that soon Right. I, uh, I believe the PDF is on drive through. Ah, strong recommend if you haven't looked if, if if you're at all interested in it, Chris. Strong recommend. And 
Oh, it's that. Sorry, I'm just reading the show notes. So, so that uses its own system called the plus one system. Is that right? Yep, it uses a combination okay. of playing cards and um, and dice. Oh, right. Okay, cool. That gives me more excuse to pl- pick up some playing cards at some point for other purposes as well. <laughs> I've, got, I've got some other game design ideas that I'm thinking playing cards for. Anyway, cool. Um, I, I think that definitely covers... Uh, does that cover everything that's coming out that's not vampire-related? Or is there some other things that have just come out? No, those these are all of the ones that are coming out that I can talk about. Sure. Brilliant. Right. Well, uh, speaking of vampire, yeah. uh, if, if you don't mind, uh, let's talk about uh, Chicago by Night for a bit. So Chicago is probably the most detailed city in the world of darkness with a very long history section and at least four currently existing supporting source books. Uh, so what were some of the challenges uh, in being invited to play in someone else's sandbox here? <laughs> um, so... Definitely trying to take a look at the history and unpacking all of the the world of darkness history of Chicago. There is two main edition source books, and then there's also the Chicago Chronicles that we used as part of the history, and all of those are incorporated in the history section. Um, so having to present those in a modern way because the old the old books are all narrative you read what's happening on the page with the new v5 system from beckett's jihad diary forward is all interactive so things like letters and manuscripts and newspaper clippings and visual diagrams of um actual spray painted things on walls those are all storytelling materials that we had to incorporate while going through the history of it and updating everything. So having to present all of that history in a new set of eyes was very challenging. Oh, I, I can I can imagine. Uh, like you said, there's just a ton of stuff to go through there. And a lot of it is of, let's say, questionable canonicity uh, <laughs> because of all of the you know different points of views and the did this actually happen? And uh, reading through the uh, through the, the the book, it it you've, you've done a fantastic job of of presenting uh, the changes and what's different here. And uh, and I, I I for one really really enjoy it. Thank you. That was um, the the way that the history is presented in the in the actual Chicago by Night is so fantastically done. Like. Um, the way that they took what I wrote and elevated it to such a level was just insane. <laughs> um, and it actually gave me goosebumps being able to read the stuff that I had written all over again. And there is like there is a lot of history for a lot of games with Chicago. I know that there are like several LARP troops and stuff, and I used to be a part of those. And having to separate out also those played through scenarios and histories to the actual canon and make sure making sure that you didn't cross that over was also something that is a challenge for someone who has played a lot of World of Darkness. Was there any temptation to maybe canonize a favorite character that you've played before or did you did were you able to to separate those those desires from your professional life? <laughs> um there is definitely some small throwbacks to certain characters or stories or plots 
that don't really have a huge impact overall on the world, but are still kind of a shout out to people who have influenced me as a role player, but also as a writer. Nice. Personal Easter eggs. Yeah, they're all very personal Easter eggs. And I have maybe reached out to a couple people and I was like, hey, I included you in the book. Have fun finding it. (laughs) (laughs) So and then Chicago also has like a really interesting feel. If you've ever been to Chicago, there is this very old feeling about the city that it so wants to break free of and feel newer. But if you go into like the depths, the nooks and crannies of the city, it's still there. It permeates everything very, very prestigiously. One of the biggest inspirations I used was there's a ice cream shop that was built in the 20s and it's still around. And it's called Margie's Candies. And they're open until midnight every night. They make their own ice cream and everything like that. And I went there one time by accident. This is how I found this place. And um, just sat in there. And even the booths look like they're out of the 20s. The walls are still lined with like mirrors and everything like that. And I continually went back to this memory to just try and get the feel of that specific location because it's still operational. Still feels very much like it's in the 20s. And of course, the mirrors are there to... uh out any La Sombra that might try to wander in. Very yes. nice addition. <laughs> well, no, that's actually a really interesting feeling because yeah, you know, I live in uh, I live in Boston and I go to I've been to San Francisco tons of times. And with these cities, a lot of like those old timey like really interesting places with a lot of flavor are just getting replaced by these like really whitewashed um my friend calls them apple brutalist or apple brutalism where it's just like, <laughs> you know, the stark white and like the maybe there's some like curved edges but it's all uh it's all very like cookie cutter in many ways That's so i think not... like kind of yeah. retaining that's definitely a, a really cool vibe especially for you know a, a book like this that's really interesting it's like you know i went to san francisco you know recently for a job and I understand what you mean, seeing those large, brutalist buildings, and it seems quite a different thing compared to, say, say Manchester, where they tear down anything that was like built in like the sixties, seventies, where it's horrible concrete. But they anything that's like Victorian, like you know, old, you know, the old um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, cotton mills and so forth. They're just doing up internally, so the city still has that kind of external look to it which is why obviously they use manchester to look like old like um new york during the 30 no 30s 40s because that's where they filmed uh portions of captain america so yeah oh wow yeah (laughs) yeah you can walk you can walk around manchester and see bits and go that was in captain america that bit was in captain america that entire street they looped constantly for captain america (laughs) running down the road (laughs) 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 so um it's but I, yeah, it's little things like that. Yeah, in writing, in doing, in, trying to inject those little gems and 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 nuggets into a city setting is rather than just being the cursory stuff. I mean, uh, like, I I don't know. I've never read Berlin by Night um, at all. But Mike, how, I'm sure, like, you know, walking around Berlin versus reading about it is is quite different as well. So um, oh yeah, certainly um, yeah. Yeah, especially because I, uh, I had a weird experience there where I like was trying to find a uh, a step down adapter for my mixer, so I was just like wandering through this this foreign <laughs> city I'd never been to. I didn't speak the language, although there was English everywhere, which I found really interesting. And just like getting exposed to it on this like uh, this crazy little adventure. Yeah, it, it's it's always a very different experience, uh, 
actually being to the place. And, you know, uh, I think, Crystal, that's really what you were, you were kind of trying to go for here, right, is uh, finding those little flavors of the city to bring to the forefront as opposed to just like reading a travel guide. Mm. Yeah, I didn't want it to seem like it was, you know, the travel, the highly traveled man's guide to Chicago. I wanted it to be like, no, you're living in Chicago. This is how you grew up. And this is now your life. Yeah, definitely. Actually, Crystal, so from your point of view, Vampire the Masquerade specifically had, you know, had Chicago by Night and a second edition for it. Now we have a fifth edition. Um, you know, we were revisiting the city for the third time. Um, but there were all these other city books that came out, you know, DC by Night, New Orleans by Night, uh, Mexico City by Night. Why do you feel uh, Chicago has had such a, uh, a staying power for this setting, for this game system? It's because it was the first city setting that was ever actually published. And it's actually one of the highest selling city books that have ever sold, that have ever been published. Right. And you can feel a lot of the writers did have a tie to Chicago in some way or another. And you can still feel that in the original setting material. They care very deeply about that city and um, the way that it's written and the way that the characters all interacted in the city is very special. And it's very different from any of the other city settings, because like um, the one I was I'm really hoping that they eventually do is New Orleans by night. But New Orleans, um, the, the setting is it doesn't quite reflect the city in the way that I've seen the city. So. Like, it seems very distant and cold and almost um, (laughs) aggressive apple compared to, like, what is actually the city of New Orleans. So uh, Chicago, I think, has that inherently, even in the narrative, um, the way that it's presented, has that inherently built into it. And it's very cared about by the writers, and you can tell that. Coming from Milwaukee, there's always that uh, (laughs) love-hate interplay with Milwaukee and Chicago. But um, Chicago still does hold a very big place in my heart um, with the world of darkness um, and getting to kind of interject my own personal experiences in Chicago. And that was really cool. Right. So the next question is, is what, you know, the next book you've worked on, which carries on then from Chicago by Night, which is Let the Streets Run Red. So essentially, what is this book going to do for us for v5 and what what does it expand upon and kind of what other interesting tools does it give us or examples of play or or things like that because um yeah it's it's another book that's coming out from from uh onyx path uh that details more about the area so let the streets run red was actually a kickstarter stretch goal And it is a collection of stories that are similar to The Sacrifice in Chicago by Night. So it highlights different cities within the Midwest, the immediate Midwest of the Chicago area. So things that are kind of accessible by day trip. So Gary, Indiana, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, a couple of smaller cities in southern Illinois, I believe. And what it does is it gives you kind of a brief snapshot of those cities so that you can introduce them into your chronicle and to your players. And that's because, um, if I'm right in thinking, there's like there's obviously a power dynamic between these, because of course Chicago's prince has however much leverage over these areas, but each of these cities has its own le- well, more or less degree of control by the Camarilla and other factions. So kind of what type of factions are we going to see 
and and what kind of insight are we going to get um, from these uh, from these kind of snapshots? The one that I specifically worked on was for Milwaukee and Indianapolis, mm-hmm. um, and there are a couple of other scenarios. There's, I think there's four or five scenarios total in the whole book, and I worked on one of them. And Milwaukee is getting updated to the common times, and it is reflective of Orwellian overrule. So the prince of Milwaukee has a very different ruling perspective than the Chicago prince. Um, And it's also a different way to present like the Primogen Council and stuff like that, because the prince has dissolved the Primogen Council and has basically enacted these rules that make it illegal for kindred to even meet in larger groups than six. Hmm. Oh, nice. Okay, that's that's very interesting. That's very spicy. So, oh, geez. I mean, you can't talk about it too much. You can't reveal too many things, but I'm just really, really curious about how that's going to affect Elysium, how that's going to affect all the different interactions between Kindred, because just not being able to meet is, uh, well, being able to meet is such an integral part of the Vampire the Masquerade, you know, social experience and the politics. That, uh, that really changes things. That makes it a lot different. Yeah. So Elysium is the only place that Kindred more than six can meet. Um, but it is highly controlled by the prince and those that he puppets. So there's this overall fear of breaking the rules within Milwaukee. Yeah, I can't imagine the uh, Tremere will be very happy about this, specifically. Hmm. Uh, this is actually post um, the... Um, it's after Karna leaves. And um, basically, Milwaukee Tremere have like one Tremere left. Maybe two. That's Ooh. it. Goodness. Well... <laughs> Yes. And so um, they're kind of in shambles, too, and scrambling to keep um, basically a a hold on Milwaukee and their power. Yeah. uh, With the um, the uh, other magic using groups coming into the uh, Camarilla, the the La Sombra mystics, especially, I can see that uh, Tremere would not not appreciate this. So, yeah. Mm. okay. Yeah, no, they they are are very salty about it, and it definitely comes through. Well, I look forward to to reading this this book. This sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and the other one that the other city is Indianapolis, and this is the first time that Indianapolis is actually officially outlined in canon within the World of Darkness. It is also the first ministry controlled city that is outlined in the world of darkness. Whoa. Because <laughs> the ministry, like, I really love where the ministry have gone in the Anarch book. Like, you know, they're, they're all the the snake, uh, deceiver, kind of religious sets, you know, encapsulated, whether it's kind of, you know, um, Loki yes. or, or Seth or, 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 or what have you that fits with it. So seeing how, the, how they get interpreted in the U.S., and how that mostly in, uh, incorporates local uh, mythology and folklore as well uh, is kind of cool. And how and even because I think of because I because obviously with the demo around around my the, um, the the ministry person as a uh, an MLMer, so for the Anarchs, so he looked like a um, so multi level marketing, uh, and he was like you know had nice. a man bun and he was nice. like uh, he had like. Um, uh, tat- you know, um, uh, Viking tattoos and everything. So I just really wanted him. He's set up, yeah, his ministry, but he's not what you've re- like. Anyone that has experienced the game 
the four would be like, whoa, what is this? It's like, yeah, he's got a man bun and he's, uh, he's doing, you know, people power to control things in a very different way to, say, the La Sombra or, or other groups. So, yeah, I'm going to be intrigued to how, how that plays out with, the, um, with this ministry-controlled city. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's an anarch city. So it's just uh, the, the ministry is the, the dominant um, clan in the city. And it was a really cool opportunity for me because if you've ever driven to Indianapolis – from the north. And I don't know if it comes from the south because I've never driven from the south up. But there are signs all over the the highway of hell ex- hell is real <laughs> and Jesus exists and stuff like that. So the ministry is based off of the Bible Belt. Excellent. And and basically their uh take over control over the kindred soul. Oh, that's really good. That that conflicts so well with the La Sombra and surely conflicts so much with like the Church of Cain as well. Because Oh gosh, yes. That's a classic Gnostic. You know, that's that's classic vampires do Gnostic Christianity. So having the ministry manipulate local local religious factions in a in a multi-level marketing manner, which is what's happened with religion in, in many respects. Um it's terrifying. That's really cool. Um <laughs> excellent. That's really cool. So you, you heard think, it here first, guys. The Reformation, bad idea. Yeah. And the other thing <laughs> that I think is really, really cool about this is because what this with with Chicago and then all these cities that are around it that are Easily commutable. I don't know how long it takes to commute from Chicago to each of these areas. Like Gary, Indiana is very close. And then Mil- uh, Milwaukee is like, I don't know how many, half hour, hour, two hours to drive. Those two hours from Chicago. Okay. So it's interesting because like, I think about those things with respect to when I'm doing stuff based on the UK. And so it's going to be interesting to see how the, all these places interact because... Again, you know, you've got major cities here that are literally an hour or half an hour's drive from each other. And how do vampire princes interact when they're literally in each other's backyard almost? Yeah, and there is some interaction between Milwaukee and Chicago too. So there is a a couple of ties there that are going to be really interesting to see how they get laid out. And the travel between the cities is uh, the whole book is supposed to be like a Midwest Gothic feel to it. So travel with the cities is actually super dangerous for for vampires. And it's built into those scenarios where you have to make that decision as to how you're going to go. And it isn't easy. Like just driving from point A to point B, you go through so many rural and dead areas (laughs) that leave you super exposed. So lupines everywhere. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. So, Crystal, I wanted to ask, you know, you've been working on all these really cool World of Darkness projects lately, but have you kind of looked at the uh, Storyteller's Vault at all? Is that something that you're uh, interested in maybe making the dive into? I am a huge proponent of Storyteller's Vault, and I will gladly help to get people on the right path for writing for it, too. My, my sister and cousin-in-laws both are like, hey... We want to write it storytellers well, but we have no idea how. So I've been setting them up with everything. Here's what you need to do. 
<laughs> yeah, negotiating through, you know, working way out through like templates where all the art packs are for what you do. It's it's oh. it's really fun. Like, I mean, because James has been who we co-host with. Um, he's been uh, doing a few things for the DMs Guild, and I think he's commented how how the storytellers vault. I think we've we've learned is is really well supported. Like, there's so much to use that's already put out by White Wolf and Drive Through RPG to get you started. Like art assets and and like um, word templates or or um, uh, InDesign templates. And I've learned a lot using it. So um, so how how how's your experience been of using the Storytellers Vault? Like what thing? tips or tricks have you picked up? <laughs> so um, with the Storytellers Vault, everything that I've put up there so far, because I did a Harpies Primer and I did one other thing that I'm blanking on the name for, but um, I did them all in Word and that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's tough. <laughs> As I'm you know, trying to lay stuff out at two in the morning and I move a picture half an inch and all of yeah. a sudden like you know, sirens are going off and a black hole opens up on my computer. <laughs> Word um, really doesn't like big documents, I can tell you now. <laughs> no, so I've been trying to work through Scribus, which is like a free program. Okay. Mm -hmm. And yep, I've got it. yeah, I'm learning how to do layout in that. I've been okay. familiar with like Photoshop and I've been using GIMP for things. Mm -hmm. Um so but layout is not my specialty so um yeah. having to yeah like having to lay out my own things is a horror let me tell you <laughs> it's yeah um so i think james has also been using uh something called zara for doing layouts uh which is kind of like a, a cut down version of indesign and okay. and uh maybe talk to him about it um to see what his experiences of it is yeah like i've learned recently why you know when you see the um from onyx path all the all the headers have the diagonal the the, the yeah. bra i call them brackets because that's that's how i know about them in in scientific um, nomenclature mm -hmm. um but they they have the, all the header like um elements in there where, where it says h1 or h2 and I've seen this in other other stuff I've been privy to. And then I worked out why it's all like that. And that's because InDesign has something called Grep, which uh, is a is a computing bit of software. So it can find all these instances and en masse manipulate all the headers to be the same format. So uh, I'm trying to learn a little bit of programming within that and trying what I do in my day job and put it into using layout. Uh, and it's not as easy as, as you would hope, but it's getting there. Okay. So, so yeah, doing layout is sometimes a bit like computer programming. Um, and I say that because there's also, if you go on the storyteller's fault, there's people that are doing layout using LaTeX, and I just think they're insane doing that. It's that's a, That is literally programming PDFs. <laughs> oh gosh like i am not a i'm not a programmer so and, and yeah like adding that layer onto it would you, no thank you <laughs> yeah um and then with the source as well like what's the kind of like feedback you're getting from from you know getting your products out there and you know you're because i mean the and sort of the freedom you get by doing it doing things off your own back as it were because you know these are the source as well is a community um driven product uh, uh, shop front, basically. One of the biggest things that I've realized from Storytellers Vault is don't take feedback 
too seriously. Hmm. Especially since it's okay to read, you know, like the comments and stuff like that, but sometimes they can be downright mean. And, and, um, that can affect you. And as a, as also a professional writer, like I don't want to get myself into that headspace unless I absolutely have to. Hmm. So I kind of just put stuff up there just because I want to create it. Whether you like it or not is your own opinion. And Hmm. I can pick or choose whether I'm going to take that to heart or if I'm just going to pass over and, you know, uh, kind of wash over it. Yeah. Now, if there's like some legitimate, like I did an oopsie and it's actually problematic, there's a difference. That's the, oh, no, I need to actually fix that because this is problematic for somebody in the community or a community of people. Um, I try very, very hard not to do that. I totally get that. Yeah. yeah 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 like th- this comes back to writing about what you know well is often maybe the best thing to first do for the storyteller's fault because uh i mean this all goes all the way back to like you, you know writing about a city is often or a location is better if you fully experienced it or you live there so that you feel that you're writing from 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 a, a position where of lived experience of it like yeah, writing about Venice for me was took a lot of research to filling all the gaps, and I was glad I've you know walked around the city and gone away from all the tourist traps to again find all those little things. Um, what's been some of the best feedback you've had though on on things you've put on the storyteller vault? What what things have made you like go awesome? I'm that's exactly what I was hoping to have as feedback. The very first thing that I put up on storytellers vault was the harpies primer, mm-hmm. and that was during the launch. Yes. I did get some feedback from people who had no idea what the harpy position actually was, but they were playing Camarilla. And uh, harpy for tabletop is very different than harpy from LARP. And Mm -hmm. so being able to to figure out how to portray a harpy in tabletop was very difficult for a lot of people. So I just put out like a little, um, it's almost like a notebook that you would get from other harpies explaining what it is you do. So it was like an in-character thing that you could give to your table or whoever was interested in the position or whatever, or use it as a storyteller um, to portray that type of character. That's awesome. That's such a good idea. Yeah. That's a great <laughs> format for a play raid. I could see that for almost every role within any game. God, I'm now thinking about Mage the Awakening. There's so many positions within a casillion that, that yeah. could be laid out. I'm sure, but the point is, it's pointless to do that because Dave Brookshaw has mostly got copious notes on that i could just flood the storytelling vault with it so you know that's a dead that's a dead end already (laughs) (laughs) so but yeah i do think that um some of the the other games the the positions do get stereotyped with certain people and i like breaking stereotypes good (laughs) i love breaking stereotypes so it's good to hear that (laughs) i'm just trying to think about how i portray harpies okay now i've got another thing to read as well (laughs) um and then what what kind of things have you maybe you've got are you thinking about on the horizon that you've kind of gone "Mm, that's there's a there's a gap in the market or i just really want to write that like what's have you got rolling your head maybe or maybe you don't want to say you know (laughs) oh yeah no i have a lot of things rolling in my head um (laughs) Getting them out on paper, that's the, the problem. Yeah. Um, no, I've actually just started um, researching for Orpheus. Awesome. Um, that is like my secret 
secret love there. Mm-hmm. Vampire is my very public love. And <laughs> Orpheus is the the one that everyone seems to forget about and how awesome of a game it is. Um, and uh, they released it onto Storyteller's Vault, and there isn't much up there for it. Yeah, and, and actually you, you hit on a great point about the Storyteller's Vault is if you really want to get impact is aim for things that sometimes just aim for the game that you know quite well which isn't as well supported by the community like there is a ton of stuff for masquerade let's be honest but that's because everyone knows it so well but like writing stuff for like chronicles of darkness there's there's tons of scope for chronicles of darkness and there's as you point out there's a ton of scope for orpheus because like how many books does orpheus have like what seven i think six? it has six, six six total six official yeah. so you know you've got orpheus group detailed but then you could easily write about orpheus group or equivalent groups in other parts of the world there oh. are several different orpheus type groups that are that do the exact same thing yeah, yeah. there was a really good uh, fan supplement produced years ago for one of their competitors the uh, terrell and squib book oh Have yes you, yes uh, yes if anybody Ooh, can I find Squib. Oh, yeah, that's so super, cool. Super fun book. Huh. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of it, so now I'm like, ooh. I'm 99% positive I have it, and I'll, I'll send it to you after the show. Quick aside, uh, my old gaming group in Manchester, um, it became a, a running joke that um, that the person that was in charge of the or- local Orpheus group, um, whenever there was a, a the, the team had to meet with them, would always be like, Partway through watching an episode of Babylon Five, I have no idea why. <laughs> it was just a obsession. Um, uh, but I can I can see Orpheus. Yeah, Orpheus would have a really good crossover with Demon Hunter X um, content, uh, especially uh, like especially Strike, Strike, Strike Force Zero. Zero. Yeah. <laughs> you could actually it'd be a really good way of re-examining that material and tone it down so it isn't just so goddamn anime. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you are not wrong. It 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 does actually cross over very well with a lot of the 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 world of darkness. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's going to be good to look forward to. Yeah, definitely. All right, Crystal. So we actually had a whole bunch of questions about Snowhaven, but I know we're we're kind of running low on time here. So I think, uh, just could you first kind of highlight what you uh, worked on with Snowhaven? You know, the upcoming, uh, you know, Snowpunk five uh, E game. Yeah, so um, I actually created the Warlock packs and the different patrons for Warlocks and spells um, for that were specific for Warlocks. And then I also worked on the Spell Grimmery, which is used for all the other classes of spellcasters. Oh, nice. So they gave you like the they gave you the toughest stuff because uh, Warlock is a very, very difficult class to balance in, uh, in 5e. It is. And it was so <laughs> funny because it... The, the the call for a writer for Warlock Packs for this came over one of the groups I'm in on Facebook. And I messaged him and I was like, hey, I'm in the middle of a snowstorm because we were in the middle of our, our Arctic Vortex and I'm off of work. Um, I'd like to write Snowpunk. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have firsthand experience for this. So what is... So just quickly then, what is Snowpunk? What do you think is the, the main reason why that's a cool theme or what does it mean for a fantasy game using because this is using 5e correct yeah so it is using 5e and then there's also a, a couple of different um conversions for it for okay. different systems. 
Um, but the overall setting for it is basically it brings snow and snow settings to the forefront and makes it the central point instead of just kind of like a background. Right. So this whole society is built up around it snows all the time. And um, it's very, very isolated. And even traveling is only like a couple of weeks a year, if Mm -hmm. that. Um, And you cannot go in or out after those weeks finish. So um, a lot of isolation themes is very much an isolation theme theme and also danger um, because a lot of people don't really do snow too much in their games overall because it is such a difficult type of weather. Um, And so taking that part out, putting it part of the actual full setting kind of makes players think differently of, oh, well, I can't just go wandering out for a year without a tent, you know, (laughs) I, I I can't just, you know, make fire because there's nothing to actually catch on fire. So how do you solve those problems? Uh, It's, it's, yeah, thematically it's quite cool. I mean, that's, I I guess, partly why uh, Mike, you know, Kador in Iron Kingdoms are cool because obviously Mm -hmm. they've got a a lot of, you know, their war casters, their, their magic users uh, have a lot of snow themed, uh, magics and um, I guess the last time, we, time we've seen anything kind of that heavy in flavor would have been when Cadel would have been detailed for third edition D&D back when Iron Kingdoms RPG used the D20 system so having something that feels oh, like wow. again yeah there was a uh, there was a 3e supplement that was all about uh, uh, like frozen settings and like serious winter campaigning that sort of thing but yeah i think this is the newest uh newest thing for D D, uh which is pretty cool uh crystal have you seen are there any like uh survival mechanics in there uh for if you are like out and exposed maybe outside the city a little bit there are exposure nice. mechanics and stuff like that um i have not i do have the because the the jump start and everything is all out um i haven't gotten it really a chance to pour over it in depth um, but yeah, the, there is survival mechanics and I know that there is, uh, spell work that actually does different survival tactic things. Yeah, definitely. Mm. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's uh, one unfortunate thing with 5e. There are some like exhaustion mechanics, but you don't get a lot of, at least from what I've seen, a lot of, um, you know, extreme weather kind of rules. So if you want to have a sort of like, you know, West March's setting with a whole variety of jungles and, and snowy snow-capped peaks uh and deserts and the like uh you kind of have to go to some other supplements to grab those new rules uh maybe mm. check out the uh the dm's guild that that kind of thing but yeah very cool yeah and uh, yeah the uh i was gonna say that the um patrons and everything like that are all snow themed too so hmm. <laughs> uh yeah they they are all weather based awesome so crystal um so yeah this last year obviously it's quite clear from the list of things you've gone through your writing career is taking off in various directions with various people um so what would be your top tips for people looking to crack into the industry in this day and age because you know things keep changing companies come and go and conventions equally come and go and technology kickstarter patreon we've mentioned those there's all these uh crowdfunding things so yeah what are the tips for getting in and maybe 
making the most of it and surviving the madness. <laughs> so definitely check out the community content sites. Um, you can actually get a full listing on the drive through RPG site um, as far as what games all have community content. A lot of creators do watch those. So if you're looking for a specific company, you can get on their community content and put stuff up there. Um, and not only do you make money doing that, but you might catch their eye. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a good way to build your resume, too, because you can use those directly for applying for writing positions. Yes, definitely. Um, don't, <laughs> don't worry about your writing process. I know everyone talks about, what's your writing process? And I, I keep telling people, I don't really have one. Um, it changes day to day based on like what my brain is doing. <laughs> like if I'm distracted by something, I have to change up. So getting getting too hung up on that is going to be a downfall. Uh, but keep pushing yourself. Like keep trying to figure out how you're writing, how you actually do write. And maybe any sort of cycles that you go through and figuring out what sort of coping skills you can use to kind of get yourself out of funks and stuff like that. Right. Networking yeah. and talking to people is really important and not just kind of selling yourself, actually getting to know people. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big key to, to networking is putting yourself out there as being a human and not a robot. Yeah. There's tons of local conventions, which you can, you can make it to, you know, it's not all just Gen Con. Um, and I ha yeah, I, I will agree, like getting getting out there and knowing people has a massive effect because yeah, I so say you're not just you, you, you become a person that they, they can see is enthusiastic about a product. Oh yeah, I fangirled on a couple of people, including some of the developers I've worked on, because I was like, Oh my gosh, I love your work from this, this and this and uh, <laughs> totally like lost the ability to talk for a little bit excellent and then uh and any other last tips you also have to be open to criticism but also know when to shut it out like if your developers are giving you feedback or anybody that you're writing for make sure you take that to heart but if you're paying too much attention to reviews of products and it's just dragging you down, you have to learn to shut that off and, and not let that affect you. Um, having a good support system that's outside of writing um, also is a good thing. So being able to step away and take a break um, is very, mm. very important. Also, I think top of the list is, I, I think from what I, I've learned, because um, you've covered everything, which I think covers what my experience in the last few, few months, um, is keep playing games because you know you you're you it's one thing to write about things it's another thing to put these things into practice and uh you know it's you learn a lot of stuff by by trying to try certain things out uh it's one thing to theory craft it's another thing to see it like meet players and be completely destroyed in the process yes hmm. Um, yeah, that's a huge one too. I actually back Kickstarters and buy books of games that I know I'll never actually play just so I can study the theory crafting world oh, building yeah. and, and mechanics behind it. Um, and then playing games is really important. I have a weekly D and D game that I do. We played, I just got done playing magic, the gathering last night. Oh, right. Yeah. And some of them are pretty campy. Some of them are pretty cool, but you do have to complete continually play games to be able to understand how a table will run 
Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, a pretty famous example of that uh, that advice not being followed is uh, Kevin Symbita, uh the guy who writes all the Rifts books and uh, runs Palladium. He just tells people he, he basically never runs games anymore. Um, and I think it kind of shows with some of the quality of those products. I don't know, Chig, what do you think? I think he might have stopped around the third Rifts World book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have to agree, but that's brutal. <laughs> <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. Just tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, really great advice, Crystal. Uh, definitely good stuff and uh, a lot of cool things to follow. And yeah, it's definitely a good point about... Um, uh, you know, building up uh, relationships and having a support group. I remember, uh, you know, as, as problematic as it can be, uh, Patrick Rothfuss once said that, uh, you know, when you're writing, you can get pretty down sometimes and you really need to have like a group of like good real world friends to talk to. Uh, not internet friends, but like real people you can just go out, hang out, do other stuff with and uh, just like kind of get reinvigorated. And I always thought that was, uh, you know, just a great point. Uh, to kind of help you along the writing process. Yep, especially since red lines can be really brutal when you're going through, you send in your first drafts, and you get back notes from the developer. Those can seem to be really, really brutal. And depending on the, the developer and how they present them, they are. Or they're meant to help you with your writing and and where the developer wants to see your writing go. So you have to kind of form those headspaces too around that. Yeah, nice, great point. Great Excellent point. advice. Mm, definitely, <laughs> and I've been on the upper end of doing that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, Crystal, as we kind of like wrap things up here, uh, is there anything else you want to share? Any other uh, cool tips, tidbits, books you've been enjoying lately? Anything like that? Well, I've been working on um, PIP system stuff. Um, which is one of the other games that I work on, and we have a Patreon for that. Um, and we just finished up Dystopian, and we're doing Ghost in the Machine right now. And I just got the first drafts for it back, and it's so cool. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I remember you talked about Pip System uh, back when we interviewed you at uh, PAX Unplugged. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So that's been uh, going along pretty well, and uh, a lot of cool stuff's coming out for it. A lot of cool stuff, and we're just finishing up. Um, in fact, when I'm done here i'm gonna take a walk real quick because it's like beautiful early fall weather um in wisconsin for some reason and and then i um i'm gonna get back to editing one of the other projects that i've been working on which was uh, uh kids guide to monster hunting for pip system oh yeah nice nice that's gonna be a good yeah. one all right cool uh so I think we'll kind of uh, start to wrap up this episode. Uh, thank you, Crystal, of course, for this uh, great content. Uh, really awesome advice for uh, budding writers out there and anyone that wants to get into uh, RPGs more. And just like some cool tips about uh, great World of Darkness stuff going on. Really definitely awesome. Thank you very much for inviting me and taking the time to do this. Yeah. So uh, just in uh, closing here, just to kind of wrap things up, uh, before we get to you know, all of our social media and all of that. Chris will be talking to you quite a bit and uh, we're hoping to get you on the show more to help out with hosting and, uh, you know, some other cool side projects we have going on. Uh, so we're definitely excited to announce that uh, listeners can expect uh, more great stuff from you. I am looking forward to working with you guys. Um, over the past year, I've gotten to know several of you really, really well and been following you guys and and uh, love the work that you guys do. Thank you. It's going to be great to have other opinions because it's it's one thing to say stuff but it's another thing to have more diverse voices and 
uh, after so long of Darker Days Radio, I think it'll be, you know, just opening up that is always a, a good thing. And it means we can look at stuff we've said before through a different lens, which is, is always good. Yeah, and I'm really, it's really great to see you guys actually recognizing that and actually doing something to solve that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, well, it, we, we recognized it, I don't know, like seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's another thing. To, to it's another thing. Recruitment is hard for everything. And, and you know, you want to get, you just want to get the right the people that you feel can do what you want better than anything that you can ever imagine, I think is the thing. And yeah, yeah, it's good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. There's lots of cool ideas. It's going to be good. Yeah, totally. Anyway, anyway, uh, social media, Mike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we are still looking for some more diverse voices and that sort of thing. So uh, definitely uh, drop us a line and uh, talk to us on social media. You can email us over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, we have our Facebook group, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. Twitter is at darkerdaysradio. We've got Instagram, Tumblr. We're on tabletop with a lot of great articles coming out. Oh, yeah. Chris. Yes. Um, yeah, let's briefly say about that. So, okay, let's go through the list of social media. We've got Instagram. There are pictures on there of war crime miniatures we've put together and painted using contrast paint. So at some point, I'm going to talk about that. Tumblr, we hardly ever use. That's because Tumblr's been up and down with all its things. Let's forget uh, YouTube, there's, uh, well, there'll be some new content on there at some point, because I'll do some chatting about Warcry. Uh, Twitch, we do some streaming. Uh, I will do some streaming soon, most probably about Warcry, which will then go onto YouTube. Um, obviously, come on into our Discord and chat about games of all types, shapes, and sizes. Uh, and then, yeah, on Tabletop, obviously, we do syndicate our episodes with on Tabletop. Uh, we do team up with them. Uh, for things like uh, to do event content, like you know, uh, UK Games Expo or anything in the US that we can talk about. But yes, Mike, you are right. We've done some articles recently. So the list of articles that I've been writing with James uh, have been things like how to write a one shot for your RPG because you have to be in a very different mindset. And when you're getting started out, you know, or you've only got a few hours to play. A one-shot is a great way of getting into a new system. Uh, then there's been, after that, uh, what have I done? Um, what have we written about? Uh, tips, first-time tips for role players, for, for GMs. Uh, so hints and tips by me and James about you know what you should do if it's your first time starting out. And then the most recent one is called Mustache Twirling Villains, Archetypes and Stereotypes. So this is more about... You know, your big antagonists rather than mooks and goons. And about, but it can be about mooks and goons as well. It's really about how to, what is a stereotype, how to break those, what is an archetype, knowing how to use those, how, when it's okay and when it's not really okay to use stereotypes within games. And then why you should shave your mustache twirling villain and give him some depth so he's not some cardboard cutout, like just maniacally destroying planets left, right, and center. Because even if you are running some Chaos Space Marines, they do have a reason for what they're doing other than they just want to fuck up the galaxy. Um, so, yeah, there's um, there's some ideas like that. We're looking at some other articles soon, and we'll just keep going at that type of thing. If you've got ideas for articles, questions that we can cover, then tell us and we will do them. And as always, please give us feedback on episodes. Please leave reviews as well, because then people will listen and tell us if we're doing good stuff or bad stuff and what other stuff they want to hear about. 
Absolutely. And uh, we'll put a bunch of links into the show notes for all that good stuff. All right, everyone. Uh, Crystal, thank you very much for coming on board the show again. And uh, Chris, Chig, thank you as well. Yeah, thank you guys. And to all the listeners out yeah, to all the listeners out there, take it easy. Have a good night. This has been an episode of Darker Days Radio. Special thanks to Occam's Laser for the intro, outro, and new bumper music from their hit album, Nine Circles. Check out the rest of their work at occamslaser.bandcamp.com. Thank you.